0: Um, I feel a bit undone, actually. <laughs> like, my legs all shaky, and like, I just had a real sense of the presence of God during the worship. It was just beautiful. And as I was worshiping, I just felt like I needed to do something. And this is maybe like going to seem a little bit weird, <laughs> but I just felt like it was a God thing, that before I speak, I want to get on my knees and just pray. So are you cool with that? <laughs> so, Lord, I just... Bring myself as a broken sinner before you. Lord, would you use my words? Would you use what I have to bring? And would you make beauty out of it? Lord, I am here to serve you and to serve your people. So Lord, would you use me? Amen. sorry (laughs) just felt like I needed to do that (laughs) I don't know what God is doing here but it feels really exciting like this room is like not going to be big enough for you next time I come and that's an amazing thing to be able to say like I feel like the last time I came it was even half as full as it is today and so It's just beautiful and just keep pressing in to all that the Lord wants to do in this place because as you stay open and humble and soft before him he's going to do just the most beautiful thing and so I just want to encourage you just to be open to him and to what he's saying to you as a church and what he's saying to you as individuals Um, (laughs) and I don't know why I ever bother wearing makeup on a Sunday. (laughs) I don't know about you, but nearly always by the end of Sunday, it's halfway down my face. Um, For us, we have a really, really busy month of the year. And for most of you, you're like, I know what that month is. For most of you, that is December. But for us, it is April. You see, every single one of my children, I have three of them, were born in April, There is only 15 days between the first birthday and the last birthday, with one in the middle. And for us, that means lots of cake baking, lots of cake decorating, and lots of cake eating. And I don't know whether two years ago, it was the fact that I knew that I had lots of cakes to make, and I knew that my dad was here, that I asked him, Dad, would you bake the first birthday cake of the season? Or whether it was that he said, Jude, I know that there is a lot of cake baking to do and I want to offer to bake the first cake for you. Or whether it was my youngest daughter, Kezia, who was fed up of my cake baking and was like, Granddad, would you bake the first cake? Anyway, it came about that the first cake was going to be made and it was going to be made by my dad. And they live in the south of England, so it was quite a treat to have Grandad here and him and Kezia sat down together and they had a conversation about the birthday cake and Ke- granddad said to Kezia Kezia what would it that you would like your cake to look like and she said granddad i would love to have a cake that is multi-layered so it's got lots of layers and every layer is a different color could you do it And so my dad said, yes, Kezia, of course. And so they together started making this cake. They had three different layers. They decided my dad was obviously not quite as adventurous as maybe Kezia was hoping uh, and made three different layers, and they were three different colors. So one of them he put in bright blue, one of them he put in pink, and one of them he put in orange. And there was great anticipation. We were really excited about the moment where we were going to open the oven and look at the cake And as we opened the oven and we looked at the cakes, we were a little bit disappointed because, to be honest with you, they all looked the same color. And we thought maybe it's just because they've kind of browned on the top and actually when we take them out, we'll be a little bit more chuffed with them. So we took them out and they still looked just slightly different shades of the same thing. And so I have a picture of of the cake. So this is the cake Kezia wanted on the right, and this is Grandad's cake on the left. (laughs) The top one is the blue, kind of grey. The mid one, you can tell, is orange, and the bottom is kind of pink, but really just looks like a normal birthday cake. (laughs) The point is, is that whilst Kezia was chuffed, poor Grandad, we have teased him for the last two years. And the point is, I wonder whether the church today, whilst it is brilliant, and whilst we are doing lots of things really well, I wonder whether it's a bit of a poor reflection of what it should be. A little bit like this cake. You know, granddad, bless him, had done a really good job, but it wasn't quite what it was meant to be. It wasn't quite what it should have been. It should have been full of color and vibrance and life and exciting and attractive to the outside world. You see, as um, people today, we can be very excited about what's happening. There is a real trend for county culture living, and people are dissatisfied in general outside the church with what they see are dissatisfied with the consumer culture that we've kind of created for ourselves, so much so that we um, have keep cups that we make sure that we bring on a Sunday. They have shops now that's anti-plastic, and you take your container that you've already um, used, and you take it, and you fill up uh, in the shop. There's all sorts of things that are happening. So much so, a couple of weeks ago in Inveru we had a clothes exchange, and one girl came along. She was kind of... Um, early 20s probably, had her first job and said, I don't want to buy fresh clothes that have been, I want to take clothes that have already been used. It's everywhere. So much so Greta Thunberg, the young Swedish campaigner, spoke to world leaders against their empty words. And don't get me wrong, environmentally friendly is absolutely brilliant because we were given this world and it's a beautiful world and we need to look after it. But there are people who are desperate and thirsty for a different kind of culture. And where should they find it? They should find it in the church. But so many young people and young adults and and older adults don't seem to look for it in the church. Because actually what they see in the church is just a same but different reflection of what they see on the outside world. And we don't want it to be like that. I think in the passage that we're about to read today, Jesus is calling his followers to live in a more radical way, to live in a way that's different from the outside world, a bit more like how the church was intended to be, like this cake, vibrant and exciting and colorful and attractive to the outside world. In Leviticus 18, we read that Moses had had a conversation uh, with the Lord and the Lord had said to him, I want you to go down and I want you to challenge the Israelites, God's people, and say to them, I don't want you to be like the people that you saw living in Egypt, but yet I also don't want you to be like the people in Canaan. I want you to live differently from those around you. And today, again, in this passage, we're being challenged to live differently from those around us. And I find it helpful when I'm looking at our passage, just have a little look at what's happened before so I can kind of get the context. And so I'm going to explain to you what's happened before the passage that we're about to land in today. So we have seen we're in Matthew's gospel, and that's what we're going to be covering in the next little while as we look at the cost and what Jesus is calling us to as disciples and followers of him. And uh, we have seen Jesus be born. We've seen him grow up. We've seen him uh, go through being baptized. We've seen him go through 40 days and 40 nights of fasting in the wilderness and challenge. And then, just before the passage we're about to look at, he starts teaching and preaching. There's miracles happening everywhere. So much so, there's crowds and crowds of people following him wherever he goes. And what does Jesus always do when he's been busy and he's been surrounded by people? What does he always do? He retreats. He finds somewhere, well, kind of by himself. And he normally goes where? Up a mountain. And it's no different here where we land in this passage. He's gone up this mountain to find some space And his disciples, his followers have come with him and they've gathered around him and Jesus starts to share his heart with them. And this is the passage that we call the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is speaking to his followers and he's calling them to a higher uh, level of living. And so we're going to read through uh, Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 to 30 If you don't have a Bible and you would like a Bible, would you like to pop your hand up? Uh, And Callum, would you be able to be the Bible monitor today? Just give him a wave if you'd like a Bible. Anyone else? Pop your hand It will come up on the screen and you can swipe to it in your phones or what have you as well. Brilliant. Okay. So just before this in verse 17 and 20, Jesus is... Uh, saying to his followers that they need to keep the commandments that God gave Moses. But then he goes on to expand, and that's what we're going to be reading today. So Matthew 5:21 to 30. Brilliant. Murder. You have heard that it is said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come back and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary might hand you over to the judge, and the judge might hand you over to the officer, and you might be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Adultery. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I told you it was a bit of a heavy word. Uh, and I, I think what you need to know as I'm speaking about this this morning and probably partly why I felt like the Lord encouraged me to kneel before you is that I am not perfect. I am far from perfect. I am a sinner saved by grace. And that is the same for all of us here today if you have put your trust in Jesus. Um, so let's have a little look at this passage. Chuck talked just a little while ago, didn't he, about what... Um, what her, he him and taron felt like the lord had shared with them while they were on their sabbatical and he was talking about how they were reading through exodus and they were looking at the tabernacle and all the things that um god was telling them to do and this pillar and this picture and this bit of gold and uh, all of the different things and he got to the end and he was like lord what is it that you're saying and then he got to the last bit and it said and god's glory filled the temple And he was challenging us as a church. Chuck was saying, you know, we want to be known not as a multi-site church. We want to be known as a church that is full of the Lord's presence. And as I was preparing for this talk, Psalm 24 was going round and round in my head. And in verse 3 and 4 it says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands. And a pure heart. And I feel like if we want to be a place that experiences God's glory, we want to have clean hands and pure hearts before the Lord. Lots of you will have heard about little Evie Hall. Uh, Has anyone heard about Evie Hall? Yeah, some of you. For those of you who don't know, Evie Hall's dad is Dave Hall, who is our youth pastor. And Evie's mum is Hazel Hall, who is Chuck and Taryn's PA. And, in fact, last year she led the leadership academy while Sarah Robertson was off having a baby. And on the 22nd of August, little Evie was born. And when she was born, they found that there was a problem with her little heart. And her arteries were all back to front. And so all of the oxygen was going to the wrong parts of her body. So she was flown in a helicopter just hours after she was born down to Glasgow and she's been there ever since uh, she needs some open heart surgery she's already had some open heart surgery and there's more still to come we would love if you would just be with them in your prayers and just be praying for them and asking god to intercede intervene because in a moment god can cha- totally change the situation but you know we have the most incredible healthcare service And if Evie has this um, open heart surgery and everything is done as it should be, she should be able to go on to live a full and free life. And I feel like maybe today the Lord wants to be doing a bit of open heart surgery on us. He wants to be dealing with some matters in our heart. That means that we can go on to live full and free lives. But We need to be open to that. So we're going to look at the what. What is it that this passage is calling us to? So the what, a higher bar of purity. It's about the heart and the hands. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, as I mentioned before, we um, started a clothes exchange. There were some ladies in our church who have come to know Jesus and have been very blessed by other members of our church. And they came up to me uh, maybe two months ago and said, Jude, I'd really love to do something that will bless our community. And we've had this idea. We reckon if we pop on Facebook that we're doing a clothes exchange, people who already have clothes that they don't want anymore and they're just going to throw them out or pop them to charity shop can bring them to us. We can sort them. We can organize them. And then people who don't have can come along and they can take for themselves what they would like. I was like, guys, that is amazing. And they called it Everybody Matters. And it was just a really lovely time. And so much so, we had um, a lady who was fleeing a domestic abuse situation that literally had just the clothes on her body that we were able to give her full wardrobe to take away. We had some of the new Scots coming who have little money and uh, not very much. And they came and took clothes for their children and for themselves. And again, this lady that I mentioned before who um, was about to start a new job and didn't want to buy new all sorts of people coming. And as a church, we want to be a blessing to the community that we're in, don't we? Yes, we do. And so what we have decided is every year when we do our Kaylee, a bit like your Kaylee um, we have a Kaylee. And it's really the aim of that is to have a bit of fun, but also to bless the wider community. So we choose a charity that we're going to give to uh, this year, we're doing Inspire in Inveruri, and we decided that if anyone wanted to donate money at the clothes exchange, they could, and we would just leave a little pot. People didn't have to pay, but if they wanted to make a donation, they could do, and so they would popped their um, some money in the pot, and then any spare clothes, we took and got money f- back for as well, and we ended up with over £600 that we could give back to Inspire. And uh, just to celebrate that and celebrate the team, I put a little picture up on Facebook of our guys and just said, these guys have served so beautifully and so faithfully. And we just want to thank them and honor them for their work. But I noticed that there was one person missing from the photo. Probably the person taking the photo, right? But also the person that had done absolutely the most work. She had been there till 4 o'clock in the morning setting up with her kids because she's a single mom. And that's a conversation we need to have for another day. But just serving her socks off. And I I sent her a message after I put the picture on because it felt like there was a little bit of injustice putting this picture and thanking everyone and not her. And I just said to her, I want you to know that although you're not in the picture, I saw what you did. And I saw the hours that you poured in. But not even that. The Lord saw it all. The Lord saw it all. And the first thing that we can take from this passage is Jesus is interested in the unseen in our hearts as well as the seen as our hands. Both the great things that we do, but also the stuff that isn't so great. In the Old Testament, it says, uh, do not commit murder. But in the Sermon on the Mount, it doesn't just say don't commit murder. It says, but also don't be angry with your brother. In the Old Testament commandment, it says, don't commit adultery. But in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, don't look lustfully at a woman or man. You see, the anger and the lust is the stuff in the heart that often precedes the actual outworking. So when somebody uh, murders someone, no doubt there is anger that has been brewing unseen sometimes and sometimes seen behind the scenes or in, in their hearts. And the same with adultery. The unseen lust for somebody is the thing that no one sees. But the seen, the the stuff with the hands, is the adultery. So Jesus is interested in the unseen as well as the seen. And the second thing that I think we can take from this is there's no distinction when it comes to sin. You know, it would be very easy for us just to say, oh, Do you know what? I haven't murdered, I'm okay. Or I haven't committed adultery, I'm okay. But what Jesus is saying here is hold on a minute, but have you been angry? I know I have been angry. Or hold on a minute, have you looked lustfully at somebody? And we haven't got time to get into it now, but in Matthew 7, verse 1 to 6, you can jot that down, you can look it up for yourselves. It's all about taking the plank out of our own eyes before we take the speck out of somebody else's. And with Jesus, if we have sinned, we've missed the mark. It doesn't matter the size of that sin. And he's reminding us of that in this Sermon on the Mount. When I was a teenager, I used to go to a youth group And I remember my youth leader giving me a demonstration of um, your conscience and saying, do you know, as you go through life, stuff that you used to, like, prick your conscience or you think, oh, that's not great, or I know that I need to sort that out. uh, As you go through life, you don't notice those things so much. And he said it's a little bit like a triangle. And imagine that your conscience is a triangle and the points are how you are when you're like, oh, I really need to sort that out, or stuff's being pointed out to you all the time and as you go through life it's a little bit like the triangles on a sanding machine and as it spins around the edges of the triangle kind of get numbed and blunted a little bit and I remember him saying you know what you can do is you can ask the Lord to sharpen your conscience and I just thought just now just in this moment let's just bow our heads before the Lord and let's just ask him to sharpen our consciences again And to show us the things in our own lives, in our own hearts, that we know aren't right before him. So Jesus, we bring to you our consciences. We bring to you our hearts. We bring to you our minds. And we say, Lord, would you sharpen that sense of right and wrong? Would you realign it with your word? Would you realign it with what you see? We ask that in your most mighty and precious name. Amen. So the what, we need to have clean hands and a pure heart, a higher level in terms of purity. But the how, we need to be radical in our approach towards sin. Um, I, how many of you love Satsumas, Clementines, or, you know, the little oranges? They all have different names. I can never remember which is which. Um I love them, but even more than that, my kids absolutely love them. And so whenever I go to Aldi, I end up picking up bags. It feels like bags and bags of them because I know as the week goes on, when they come home from school, they're like, oh, can I have a piece of fruit? And the fruit bowl just seems to disappear. Anyway, um, whenever I pick up these bags, I look at them, and I'm looking for that dodgy tangerine or that dodgy satsuma because is there not always one in the bag? Do you not feel my pain? And you check them all. And you, do you know, every time I'm like, that's okay. I've got them all. I've picked up the perfect bags of clementines or satsumas. I'm not going to have any trouble this week. I go home, I rip open the baskets, I pour them all in. And it's like one day in. And I go to the basket or the bowl and I look at them and think, that jolly moldy satsuma. I like, I promise I've checked them all, but it's still got in there. And not only that, but that stupid satsuma has now affected half my bowl of satsumas. <laughs> and I, this is like no word of a line. I don't know if anyone else has ever done this. But I take out that satsuma, and instead of taking out all the satsumas around it, because I hate waste, I get a cloth and I wipe the bits of mold off the other... Anyone else done that? Yes, yeah, some of you are like me. It's okay. But what always happens even if you've wiped off those bits of mold off the other satsumas, it still affects those jolly satsumas. What's the point of my satsuma story? (laughs) The point is, if you want to get rid of all the rubbishy stuff that's affecting the rest of the bowl of satsumas, you have to be ruthless. And you have to throw away the satsumas that are affected by the mold. So I have learned my lesson And no doubt there probably will be a Mordi Satsuma this week after I've shared that story. But we're called to be ruthless with sin. You see, in verse 23, let's get back to the passage. It says, if you come to the altar with your live offering, because remember, this is before Jesus' death. And you realize that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift at the altar. Go back and be reconciled with your brother. Now, to be honest with you, that's pretty radical in itself, because I don't know about you, but when I come into the presence of God, when I come into church on a Sunday morning, if I have something that I have wronged with somebody else, how often do I walk back out that door and get it sorted? Very, very rarely. If, if ever, I think it's okay, I'll sort it out afterwards. So there's the first thing. But the second thing that you need to understand is that Galilee, the al- Galilee was where most of Jesus' followers were, was three days' journey to where the altar was. So these people had come from Galilee, had bought their piece of livestock on the way, had got to the presence of God, had, as they walked into the presence of God, realized, I've got something wrong. my heart. And I don't know about you, but how often as we come into worship does the Lord convict us? And does he speak to us about the stuff that's going wrong? So that's what happened as they walked in and Jesus said, leave your livestock there. Go back three days back again. Sort out your thing with your brother or sister and then come back and pick up your livestock. And so instead of the six days journey, it was a 12-day journey. That is radical radical stuff when it comes to that sin but not just that that's in verse 23 but in verse 29 it says if your eye causes you to sin gouge it out and in verse 30 it says if your hand causes you to sin cut it off both times it says to throw it away and I'm not sure that Jesus is asking us to gouge our eyes out or cut our hands off But I do think he's asking us to be radical in the way that we treat sin in our lives. It's better to save the healthy satsuma than to lose them all. So the first way that we need to be radical in our approach to sin is is being ruthless with sin. A few years ago, we built an extension on our house. Uh, We decided we needed plenty of space for lots of people to be there. Uh, But we also needed a little space to be able to meet with people if they came, so it didn't distract the rest of our family. And so we decided that we were going to convert our garage at the same time as building an extension onto the back of our house. And I don't know about you, but we had only moved into our house maybe eight years previously. And our garage was literally full to the gunnels of boxes, of freezers, of washing machines, of tumble dryers, stuff that we hadn't even looked at since we moved house and I said to Archie we have a real problem because I hate clutter like I hate there being lots of stuff around I like it to be quite minimalistic and not lots of mess I said we've got a problem if we want to convert that garage we need to find somewhere to put all of the stuff that is in our garage so we couldn't put some stuff in the loft which we had done but there was still an awful lot of things so we decided that we were going to build a shed. And together, Archie and I built a shed in the back garden, which was great fun, by the way. Great marriage time. I would recommend it. Anyway, that summer, some of you are like, no, that will cause the biggest of arguments. <laughs> we have stories like that, too. Let me rest, rest you assured if that's even a phrase. You know what I mean. Um, that summer, it very quickly became Archie's man cave. And any time we couldn't find Archie, the kids would say, Mom, I can't find Daddy. And I'd be like, oh, you know where he'll be? In the man cave. So they would go down to the shed and they would find Archie. And he made, like, the most beautiful uh, bench top. He even made hooks for them to put their cycling helmets on. He even insulated part of the shed. I don't know what he thinks (laughs) he's going to do in it. But (laughs) he absolutely made this shed his own. This year, we had a problem with the shed. The problem was that wasps had got into the shed. And um, that was probably partly why he insulated it afterwards. But anyway, wasps had been coming in. And as he would go into the shed, he'd see like this tiny, tiny wasps nest beginning to appear. And so he would brush it off. Like It was honestly like tiny. He'd brush it off. And then carry on about his business. And then the next day, he'd go back down to the shed. And the little wasp nest had, like, appeared again. And so then he'd brush it off. And then the next day, and the whole thing carried on all summer until he insulated the walls, which is probably why he did that. And um, basically, the point is, he was keeping short account with the wasp's nest. He was getting rid of it little and often so that it didn't have a chance to build up into something big. I think the second thing, you say in verse 25, it says, settle matters quickly. Do it while you are still with him. I think Jesus is encouraging us to keep short account, not to leave things to build up, but to deal with them quickly. So, the why. So, we know that he's calling us to a higher level of purity. We need to be ruthless with sin and we need to keep short account. But why? What is the point? I was chatting to a friend about this passage and she reminded me the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Um, Ananias and Sapphira were a couple that we read about in Acts. And in Acts what happened was all of the people would bring all of their things. They would sell what they had and they would share it among them so that nobody in their community was in need. And we want our church to be like that. We want it to be a place where people love each other and look after each other. So we want to be like the early church. And Ananias and Sapphira had sold some of their land and sold their property. And they built, brought their money, Ananias first, before Peter. And they would said, here we go. Here's, here's, here's the money. You take it. And in that moment, Peter had a holy kind of stirring in his heart, I guess. And he said, Ananias, that's not all of the money that you sold. You have lied to God and you have lied to me. And in that moment, Ananias was struck down dead just there and then before them. And then Ananias um, was taken away. He was buried. And just three hours later, Sapphira walks in. And Peter says to her, is that all the money that was sold for the land and the property? And she's like, "Yep, yeah, that's all the money. And she was lying too. And in that moment, she was struck down dead. She was carried away. And in that passage, what we see is the people around them were full of a holy fear because they realized that sin in our lives is not great before an almighty, majestic God. And what I love about this passage and the thing I want to bring to you is after that, we read in verse 12 and 16 that people from outside of the church looked upon these people with holy respect. And people were being added to their number daily. There were miracles upon miracles happening. And I just wonder whether as they realized and as they had a holy fear for the Lord... I just wonder whether if we had that same holy fear of the Lord, what our church would look like. Whether it would be that bright, vibrant, exciting place for people to come, where they saw that it was different from the world outside. We want our church to look like that beautiful cake, don't we? Maybe not the actual cake, but we want it to be exciting and vibrant and a place that people want to come. You want to be able to say to your friends, do you know, I would love for you to come to church with me this Sunday. And they would say, oh, I have heard about Catalyst Vineyard in Ellen. It's amazing that people love each other. They're so different from anybody else I've ever met. And then coming in their droves, and that was what was happening here in Acts. People were coming in their droves to get to know this Jesus that they were preaching about. We want to be able to ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place. If we want to see the glory of God, we want to have clean hands and a pure heart. So let's be asking the Lord, please, will you clean my hands, but also clean my heart? And just a few practical things I wanted to mention before I come to a close. Do you know that if you are struggling with sin, if you're struggling with something that has become addictive in your life, there is absolutely no shame in asking for professional help. And maybe um, you don't know where to look for that professional help. And we would say that we would love to be able to help and point you in the direction of that. The second thing to say is that God can break in in an instant into that. Straight away, as we come into his presence, he can break that stronghold. What did it say in that, that song that we sung? Strongholds, bowing to the Savior, resurrection power over every circumstance. Jesus didn't stay dead. He was raised from the grave. He's alive. That is the most incredible strength and power that is available to us today if we ask Jesus to be our Savior. And so as we come into his presence, he can break in and break those strongholds in an instant. But also, sometimes they take those things take longer. And that's also okay. And what we would say that as a church is that we have something called prayer ministry, where a couple of people will stand with you... On, probably not Sam sit with you and pray for you and ask the Lord to bring to surface anything he wants to heal and clean up in your life and I've had prayer ministry I know that Tammy has had prayer ministry all of our staff are forever going to oh can you pray for me I need some prayer ministry about this stuff that's happening and we will normally be a weeping blubbering mess on the floor somewhere but it's okay because the Lord is doing something new and fresh and cleaning up the stuff that's inside and sorting it all out And so I would say as well, do get prayer ministry if there is something that you know that you're struggling with. And then thirdly, accountability. I've had some really beautiful people stand with me in life. And people that I've said, you know, I would really love you to ask me difficult questions when uh, I meet with you. So I might say, you know, can you ask me how often I'm reading my Bible? Or can you ask me how often I'm spending time with my husband, just the two of us, and having deep and proper conversations and connecting with him? And other things as well. But I find somebody that I know loves Jesus with absolutely all of their heart. And I find someone who loves me as well and who I can trust. And I want to encourage you, if you don't have somebody like that in your life, find somebody like that. Honestly, it is the most refreshing and beautiful thing to have someone walk alongside you through the stuff in life. Whether things are going swimmingly well or whether things are really difficult. And finally, and absolutely most importantly, his grace, Jesus' grace is sufficient for you. His death and resurrection took the punishment for every little last bit of sin in your life and in my life. And so there is no shame or condemnation when we come before Jesus. But he does convict us. He does point out the stuff in our lives that he wants to sort. Because he knows what's best for us. And he knows what real freedom looks like. And um, as I was preparing for this morning, I just wondered whether someone has ruled themselves out of something because of sin in their life. And just felt like the Lord was saying, all you need to do is repent. All you need to do is say sorry. And saying sorry isn't just that moment. It's turning from the stuff in our past and walking into the freedom that Jesus brings to us. Once you've brought that stuff before the Lord, once you've repented and turned from that, don't rule yourself out anymore don't rule yourself out anymore because he has great plans for you and he wants to use you um in the last couple of places that i've done this i had had a picture and i think it's probably relevant for today as well um of the cross funnily enough and um I had a picture of people just coming out of their rows. It was interesting because we did communion today, which we didn't do when we did this before. And it was actually a very similar picture to what was happening as you were coming out of your rows kind of one at a time and taking the bread and taking uh, the wine. But it was a picture of you coming before Jesus and kneeling before the cross and bringing that stuff before him and saying sorry. Sorry. No one needed to stand alongside you and pray with you in that moment. It was literally just you and Jesus, you getting out of your seat, walking to the front and bowing before him and leaving the stuff at the foot of the cross, standing up, turning around and going back to your seats. The clue is, right, it says in the Bible, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So actually... It should be all of us. If you're comfortable, if you're not comfortable with it, just stay exactly where you are. I'm totally aware that I'm maybe some of you are thinking, I've come here for the first time. And this bonkers lady's like bowed before she preached, and now she's asking us to come and get before a cross on our knees. Like, what on earth is she talking about? Um, and if that's you, please just stay exactly where you are. There's like no, we're just family, and we're totally cool with you staying in your seats. But if you know and love Jesus, and this is your place. I would just encourage you that as the band come, and I'll ask them if they could just come now, as they come and lead us in worship, would you just come... And kneel before the cross. The thing is, that cross will disappear because the words will come up on the screen. I was going to make you a cross. And my dad said, because my dad was here before I last spoke about it, he said, Jude, you weren't going to make the cross. You were going to ask Archie to make the cross. Why don't you just put it on a PowerPoint? And then the first time I did it, I realized it doesn't really work because the PowerPoint disappears. But you can imagine the cross of Jesus. And you can imagine bringing yourself and your sin and all the stuff that you've done, whether it's the tiniest thing from Being impatient in the shopping line. I'm terribly impatient when it comes to paying for my shopping. Or whether it's bigger stuff. And I felt like I had the word gambling today as I was coming here. And um, that could be for you. It could just be that um, I had a bad night's sleep or something. I don't know. But if that's you, I, I just would love for someone to stand with you and pray for you this morning. But the rest of us, do you know, let's just come before Jesus, get on our knees, give the stuff to him, and then just stand up and walk back to our seats, knowing that before Jesus, we're righteous. We're made right before him because of his blood and his death on the cross.